Okay. I'm going to pray now. Father God, thank you for Judith. Thank you for the woman of God she is. Thank you for what she's been to us, the inspiration she is. And Father, we pray now that you'll inspire her, that you'll fill her with your words, with your spirit, and that what she has to say will come from you. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're continuing our series on, uh, well, my series. <laughs> Nobody else is picking it up, so it's mine. Um, about our conversation with God, or now we're very confident to call it our conversation about prayer, because we're not ashamed of prayer. It's not scary anymore. It's not boring. It's not inaccessible. It's fun. It's good for you, and it's exciting. It's how to get the job done. So. I've been very encouraged speaking to some people who have told me that they've found the series has transformed, clue there to what Jill was speaking about last week, transformed their prayer life and their relationship with God. So I'm glad, um, you know, it's not empty words and whatever, at least some people have been helped. So I'm hoping um, as we continue, you'll get even more help as well about developing our prayer life, our conversation with God. And so far we've looked at why we need a conversation with God how to develop one, why God wants a conversation with us. Uh, And last time I spoke on God's invitation to come to him. Uh, We are invited into his presence, into his company to be with him and to talk with him. And that is the, the really important thing about prayer because when Jesus chose his disciples, he said, I've chosen them not to train, not to go to Bible school, not to learn a load of things that he's going to teach them, but he said, I've chosen these 12 to be with me. That is the clue. If you want to be a good Christian, if you want to be a good disciple of God, there is only one way of getting that truth downloaded into yourself, and that's spending time with him. Church is a part of that, where we're spending time with God altogether, but it's important to do it in our own lives in all sorts of different ways. So today, um, we're going to look, we had come last time, and when we come into God's presence, we're going to be doing the ask, because when we get into God's presence, we can ask, or if you're from South London, it's ask, right? But as soon as I'm from the Midlands, and I am not changing my accent, it's ask, A-S-K, okay? Now, anyone can ask anything of anyone if you have access to them. Anyone can ask anything of anyone, providing you have access to them. Lottery winners get inundated with people asking for the money that they've just won, because they'd like some. But I guess that most get thrown into the bin, begging letters, because asking outside of a relationship is less likely to succeed. If those lottery winners had friends or family that they know that are in difficulty or could do with a few quid, they would probably give it to them, not the begging letters they get of people they don't really know. Children ask their parents for things, don't they? (laughs) But even then, their request is going to be considered more seriously if they're in relationship with their parent. So a child, who is now an adult, estranged from a family, turning up on the doorstep after no contact for 10 years, asking for money, is less likely to receive immediate help 
than the other siblings or in relationship to the parents continually. Agreed? Because you're kind of like, well, where have you been for the last 10 years? What are you going to do with this money that I'm, uh, you're asking me for? There needs to be a building up of relationship in order to develop trust, in order to put resources into the hands of people that you know it's going to do them good. So asking then isn't as simple as, I want to have, I need, I ask, I get it. Asking is a lot more complicated than that. There's a lot of things about it. And um, you see, who you are asking is important. Do they have the resources to give you what you need? So if you came to me and said, uh, Judith, I need £200,000 to uh, buy this nice flat because we need to live there, don't ask me. I don't have £200,000. If you ask me for 20 quid because you haven't got any food for this week, I could give you 20 quid. But you don't... Who you're asking is important. Do they have the resources? What was that? Listen to the rest of the sermon because you've just disqualified yourself from getting it. Babe, that's a few points later. Right. And so it's who you ask is important. Do they have the wherewithal to actually answer what you're asking, to give you what you're asking? And also, do they care enough to help you? Because you can have a millionaire, but if you don't care about you, then you're not going to get anything from him, are you? Or her? So who you're asking is important. Who is doing the asking is important. Are they known to the person being asked? Are they trusted? Are they in a relationship? The person that's doing the asking, the relationship is is important. How you ask is important. (laughs) Don't you hate parents? Not this ever happened to me. The demanding, whining, emotional manipulation, begging that some kids do. Yeah? Or let's, let's not call it kids. Some people do, right? Nagging, where you just... After, 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 after. How about, you know, it's, it's better for people when they're asking you for help is to share the need and be vulnerable. If somebody comes up to you and said, oh, you know, I'm really in difficulties and, uh, and, uh, and do you think you'd be able to help me? That's far better than, you've got a salary, so you need to give me some money because I'm in trouble. Whoa, wait a minute. That's not the way to ask. So how you ask is important. And dare I say why you ask is important? What led you to be in need in the first place? Is there something deeper that needs addressing to stop you being in need again? Third world countries, it said, you know, you can give people fish to feed themselves or you can teach them to fish so they can continually feed themselves. It's important as why you're asking. What you are going to do with what I give you is also very important. So why are people asking for this for things? And I don't know about you, but I have a dilemma. I know there's been a debate about it. I don't know where the current thinking is at the moment. Every time I see a person on the street who's asking for money, begging for money, I have this dilemma. Do I give this person money? Do I not? What are they going to do with that money? Is it better to go and buy them a hot drink or take them and buy some food from a supermarket? I don't know. We can have all debate about that. But 
you kind of think to yourself, I feel moved, but what is the motive behind this? Why are you asking for this money? Why is it important to you? What are you going to do with it? Is it going to help you? Is it going to make things worse for you? So there is a lot more to asking than meets the eye. Would you agree? So I'm going to... Um, I've got some basic principles for asking. I'll let you into a secret. There's 12. I don't know whether we're going to get through all 12 today. It depends when God turns up, what happens. And I loved last week how at the close of the sermon, Jeff kind of said to Dave, I've got a hard question for you, mate. Answer that one. And as we're going along, I'm quite happy for you to interrupt and say, well, what about this and what about the other, okay, if we're not understanding? Because I want to avoid rushing through all 12, so I've, I've, I've taught them now, but principles of asking. It's, it's not a matter of getting through all 12. It's a matter of understanding them and grasping them and getting our head round and our heart round them and then putting it into practice, isn't it? So if it takes me another two years to go through all 12, we're all happy with that, okay? <laughs> right, okay. First one. Don't be shy, be bold. Now, this links with what I spoke about last time about come. Because we said that in, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And I read to you the same verse from the message, which is a very modern translation. So let's walk right up to him, God, and get what he is ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. So we need to, when we come and ask things of God, we need to come boldly and with confidence. Know that you're accepted, expected, and welcomed. And also, we need to become with confidence. Because, you know, when we come to God, he knows how to give, and he loves to give. You're not coming to someone who's tight-fisted that you're going to have to persuade that really you need this thing, and really you are so good, and you know I need it, so you need to give it me. You don't need to persuade God like that. He is a God who knows how to give. John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You can't tell me that God doesn't know how to love and how to give. It's cost him the most precious thing he had, that's his son. So he knows that. And when you go to God to ask, don't apologize for asking. Hey? Oh, God, I'm really sorry to ask you this. God's like, what? I'm waiting for you to ask me. I'm in waiting for you to invite me, invite me into the solution that you need. I'm inviting you to come and tell me how you're feeling about this situation. I'm inviting for you to say, God, I can't do anything. You can. Please do it. All I'm waiting for is for you to ask me. So when we come to God, we need to be bold. We need to be confident. We're not there to kind of persuade him that he needs to do something for you that he really doesn't want to do. So that's the first one. The second one, your prayers are powerful and effective. If you have a Bible, then you can open it to James chapter 5. 
James chapter 5, and I'm, rever- I'm reading from the second half of verse 16. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. Elijah was a human, as we all are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for the next three and a half years. Then he prayed for rain, and down it poured. The grass turned green, and the crops began to grow again. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. Then you go to say, well, we are talking about Elijah after all, Judith. I mean, he is a fantastic prophet. I mean, he is just top of the class when it comes to Christianity. So that verse talks about him. But it doesn't apply to me because I'm not on the same level as the Old Testament prophet Elijah who did all those amazing things. You need to read the verse again because God is not saying, because Elijah, who was my number one class A prophet who did amazing things, praise, I will answer. He didn't say that. He said the righteous person that prays has great power and wonderful results. So you don't have to be one of top, God's top squad, squaddies and officers and prophets and whatever. You just have to be righteous. Then you go, oh, well, that lets me off then, God, Judith, because I'm not righteous. Are you reading your Bible? The Bible says that when we ask Jesus into our lives, he forgives us from all unrighteousness and he all sin and makes us righteous. And then 1 John 1 9 tells us that if after that event when we become a Christian for the first time, if we continue to make mistakes and sin, then you confess your sin to God and he will forgive you of those sins and he will make you in right standing, righteousness with God. So if you've done something wrong, you, f- you ask God for forgiveness and then you are reinstated to your righteous position. You are all righteous in Christ. If that's not the case, why on earth did Jesus come and die on the cross? What a waste. Because that one act of being punished for our sin, when we identify and say, God, you put all my sin on Jesus so I can be forgiven and walk free, we are now made righteous. We are righteous in God's sight. So I go back to this verse. An earnest prayer of a righteous person has power and wonderful results. God listens to you and me when we ask him, because of what Jesus had done. We are righteous. And the scripture there says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and has wonderful results. Number three, God has no favorites. 1 Peter 1 verse 17 says, remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites when he judges. He would judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear or respect of him because of the high price God has paid for you in Jesus. If you do your best to live according to what God is telling you, then you are no less or more important to God 
than anyone else who is also trying to do their best to live for God. He does not have favourites. So you kind of think, well, maybe Astrid and Rachel, who led worship this morning, you know, maybe they're doing such a good job doing that. I only clean the toilets. So God's going to listen to their prayers because they're doing a far more important job. Rubbish. They're all serving God and doing what God has told them to do. Now, there are two people in this church that do clean our toilets. I don't know whether you know who they are. I'm not going to tell you because they might not want to be identified. But they do that job consistently, well, and we appreciate it. Don't we? When they pray, God doesn't look at them and say, you're only a toilet cleaner. No. God says, I'm listening. You are living your life, obeying me, of what I've told you to do. You're trying to follow me as best as you can. I'm going to listen to you as much as I listen to the people that lead the worship or lead the church or be a life group leader or whatever. God has no favourites. You are a child of God. We're all on an equal footing. Now, I know you've probably heard that before. But do you believe it? When you come to God, do you really believe that you are on equal footing with Billy Graham? If you don't know who he is, he's a, a preacher that's preached them. He's in his 70s, yeah. Um, he's preached to thousands, he's seen thousands of people. Or Reinhard Bonnke, what a stupid surname, but anyway. Um, poor bloke couldn't help it. He was born into that family. He's an evangelist that goes around the world and he's seen millions of people become Christians, right? Millions of people. So when they pray and then you pray, do you think God's going to take more notice of them? We all come on an equal footing. What I would say was, because of their experience with God and them asking him, they may have more faith than we have because they've stepped out, done stuff, God's blessed them, so they have more confidence to invest that the next time they come and ask, they're kind of still riding on the wave of the last thing that is just the millions of people that just become Christians or whatever. Don't get muddled up between faith and favor, right? We are all children of God. How much faith you bring to that relationship will depend on how you're walking with God and taking up the challenges that he's told you already. But we are all children of God. We're all on an equal footing. So please, let's adopt a right attitude about your place in God's family. You are completely equal with everyone else. Number four, don't be vague, but be specific. Now, another man with a funny name, Yongi Cho. (laughs) Uh, He's a Korean that's the South Korean. Um, and uh, he is a man who, I don't know, I think he had the first mega church that reached hundreds of thousands of people. I don't know. But anyway, um, and he has uh, a lot of experience about prayer. And one of his, his main teaching things was prayer. And he, had a, he has a church that knows how to pray. And Yongi Cho, with all his experience, he said this, God doesn't answer vague prayers. Well, if he does, how would you know? 
Oh, God, bless me today. Well, how, would, how do you know if he's blessed you today? I mean, you know, was it the person that let you out in the traffic? Was it the person that let you skip the front of the queue because you only had two items in your basket and they've got millions? I don't know. Was that God blessing you today? It's a bit vague, you know. Vague prayers kind of like just too vague. Have a look at the prayers of Jesus. When you're reading your New Testament, right, just take note when Jesus is praying. You won't find a vague prayer amongst them. And even the prayers we don't know he prayed, I know they're not vague. Ooh, how do you know that then? Well, take the time he went up the mountain, spent all night up the mountain, and the next morning he came down and he chose 12 of the people, loads of people that were following, he chose 12 to be his disciples. It doesn't take two, more than two brain cells to work out what he'd been praying about the night before. Because that's a pretty big choice. Who am I going to spend the next three years with? Who's going to be taken and carrying the gospel and the truth? Who am I going to share with them who I am? Who, who are the people that are going to carry on this mission? I think he spent quite a lot of time that night talking to his heavenly father saying, is it him? Is it him? And just for a note, he didn't make a mistake with Judas, right? He was chosen. He was the right person. And... So there is an example where I think Jesus' prayers are not vague at all. They are really specific. And then in Luke, this is, this is lovely. You think, oh, how to be treated so specially by God. But the reason why you have to be tra- treated so specially by God, you will work out in a minute. Because in Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to have all of you, to sift you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. The reason Peter, Simon Peter, needed extra prayer, because he engaged his mouth before he engaged his brain half the time, he was super enthusiastic, but he was about to deny Jesus. And not only was he about to deny Jesus, Jesus knew after that denial he was going to feel so bad that Jesus thought, whoa, I better pray, I better pray for him. And he'd spent time, Jesus said, praying that Satan, so he'd obviously found out from his heavenly father that Satan wants to get hold of you, Peter, and he wants to destroy the life I'm trying to put into you. So when you have messed up three times like you're going to do, He's going to take that failure, turn it into depression, turn it into, I've got no reason to live anymore, turn it into, I might as well top myself. Satan would go, yes, the apostle Peter is out of the picture. But Jesus saw that coming, and he said, I have pleaded in prayer for you, Peter, that Satan is not going to get his own way. I have prayed for you that that won't happen. Isn't that amazing? that Jesus prayed for individual disciples like that. You ever thought of that? And I'll tell you now, he's up there with, next to his Father in heaven, and he's praying for us as well. He's praying for you. So Jesus is not vague in his prayers. Um, and like I say, if you're so general, how on earth do you know when God's answered a prayer? But if you're specific, then you know he's answered that prayer. So you need to ask him for specific things. Number five, ask. Don't be jealous, don't scheme, and don't sulk. James chapter four, 
verse 1 to 2. Who is it causing the quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it the whole army of evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous for what others have, and you can't possess it. So you fight and you quarrel to take it away from them. And the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. Asking God is a lot better than trying to get things that you want in your own way, often by very dodgy means, right? So you can allow jealousy of someone doing something or having something, and you can be like, well, I want that. Well, your attitude's wrong for a start. Maybe plotting to take it off them. Or maybe you're trying to get them out of that position so you can get in. I don't know. That's not the right way to go about it. And if you manage to plot and to scheme, to steal or to manipulate yourself into getting those things, when you get them, they're not so good, are they? When you've done it like that. And often those things will end up harming you. And the Bible is saying here, don't bother doing all of that, trying to get what you want by those means. Just ask God. Go to God and ask him. Because we don't have, because we don't ask, God says. So don't manipulate people. Don't try and get things yourself that you want ask. Don't moan. Ask. You ever find yourself moaning to God when you're talking to him? Oh, it's all right for so-and-so, and this seems to be working out for them. And God's like, for goodness sake, get to the end of the moaning part, and why don't you ask me? Huh? And God's like, done with the moaning forget the moaning and say God you know I need this I'm feeling hurt about this I'm I'm feeling left out because God can stand all of the talking to you like that you know you're we've talked about this before about having a conversation have an honest conversation with God God I'm really struggling with why she's got that and that's happened to her she's got the job the job I went to for I didn't get I'm really struggling with that God please I'm asking you let me know what's what's going on darn sight better than approaching God saying oh it's another person in the church has gone and landed a job oh what is it about me that I don't get oh man just cut that out. That's no good. Start talking to God how you feel. By all means, talk to him how you feel. But then ask and say, I want to know where my job is. I want to know, might be a good idea, to ask what job to apply for in the first place. Because you know what? God is quite capable of shutting doors in your face so you don't go down the wrong, the wrong road. But you know what? He doesn't like doing that every time you're going to go, Poof. oh, I've had to do that to him again. Well, I'll apply for this job. No, that isn't the right for them. Poof. He doesn't like it because he loves his children. He would rather lead and guide you than shut doors in your face to prevent you going into something that's not good for you. So why don't we just take a step back and say, God, which is the best pathway for my life? If I need another job, 
please tell me which one to apply for. You're quite capable of shutting doors, but I've got a bit of a flat nose now, and I'd like to have one that's normal because I want to walk into the job that you want. And it applies for all sorts of things. It applies for relationships. And, and even, can I say, I wasn't planning to say, it's not in my notes at all, but this is why I'm winging it with God. Relationships, future partner. So many people have doors slammed in their faces. Relationships that go wrong. And God's saying, well, wasn't actually my best plan for you because I've got something so much better. Why don't you involve me in the whole process? And I know some of you, because I speak to you, are like, you know, I've been doing that, but it hasn't happened yet. Well, all I can say is, don't moan. Go back and say, God, I still want this. I want your best. I believe in you, even though it hurts. I'm asking, come on, come through for me. Because you can talk to God like that. You tried it. Or are you still in the, dear Lord, please may I? Lord, please may I have a... Right, okay. Where am I? That was number five. We're not going to get through more, are we? Number six. Ask with the right motives. Right. This is where we're coming to your 20 quid, I think. Right. <laughs> and yours, if you were... Was it you scheming, was it? Yeah, right. <laughs> Going back to James chapter four. They're on about... Don't get jealous, don't steal this, don't whatever, ask. And you're not getting because you don't ask. He goes on to say in verse 3, when you've finally got your act together and you stop moaning and being jealous and trying to nick things and make it all happen for you, finally, verse 3, and when you do ask, yay, we got there. You don't get it because your whole motive is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. <clears throat> so we finally get there. We said, okay, I'm not moaning. I'm not getting jealous. I'm going to ask God, but I'm going to go and ask it. And, so, and now James is saying, sometimes you don't get what you ask for because your motives are wrong. If you're in need of something, like a, a car or a new coat or a watch or something like that, then the motive behind what you're asking for is what God looks at. Do you need a watch to tell the time? Or do you need a watch to be bling? And so suddenly you start wearing short sleeve shirts more often because you've got this mega watch you show everyone. You know, people have to wear sunglasses around you because that means diamonds encrusted around it. The sun goes off and you're like, whoa. You know, if you need a watch, you want a watch to tell the time. Then your motive behind what you're asking for, God looks at. If you're asking to show off, to feed your pride, to make yourself look better than others, then I dare to say, God will probably not give you what you're asking for. Why? Because it's not good for you. He doesn't want you strutting around like a peacock with your with your watch on or your, your new suit or your fantastic handbag or shoes or whatever that you've kind of coveted over all these years. and I'm sure not. He doesn't want you to be like that because now he's got two problems. One is you're focusing on those things and not the giver. 
And secondly, it's feeding your pride, which is exactly opposite to a disciple of Christ should be like. So he's now got two problems. Do you think he wants more problems? No, he doesn't. Short answer, don't give it to him. I save myself one problem. Maybe that's how he looks at it. So why we ask and our motives for asking God is not just to get money out of people when you don't need it. Because you can afford to put money out of food on your table. If not, you should have come and asked us earlier. Right. Like a car, right? You need a new car. Do you need a new car for getting to work or bringing the kids to church? Or having one that's reliable so it won't break down and cost you loads of money? That's safe to travel in? That's a lot different to saying it's got to be no more than two years old. It's got to have leather seats, preferably heated. It's got to be a BMW or a Jag or a Range Rover. Yes. In order for me to get to church, to take the kids to whatever, to be reliable, but also to look cool. I'm not looking at anyone. It is not my job. To, to judge motives. It is not my job to judge motives, right? But if your motive is just so you can show off as you turn up to, to work or wherever you're going or whatever, then I'm, I'm thinking, well, again, God's got two problems now. You don't want another problem, right? It's your motive behind it. And I'm not saying having a jag with heated seats and whatever is a wrong thing at all. In fact, most people have got them if God's given to them. Ask with the right motive, and I don't know what that motive is and why they need one, or whether God has said, your motive is right. Do you know what? You're going to really enjoy that car. I'm a father. I want you to enjoy stuff. Here's the best one. Because you know what? God's like that. He can be... Stop it. He can be... <laughs> Or I will look at you. <laughs> Just for the record, Sam does have a nice car. Right. I, yeah, good at him. I don't begrudge that at all. And obviously, he has the right motive when he asks God because he's got one. Either that or God's got two problems, but that's his, that's, that's his business with God, not mine, okay? And I'm quite happy to have a drive... I've driven in it once, that's right. I've had a ride in it once. It won't, no, no, if it goes... It won't, you don't want a Range Rover, do you? Oh, oh! We might be right. He could give me his... What's he got? A, ja a Jag, is it? I didn't realise. I thought it was a BMW. You know, God might bless him with his Range Rover that he wants. And then he says, So, I might bless Judith with my Jag. I'll give her my Jag. You never know. You never know. <laughs> but it's... Oh, be quiet. We move house. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's what I said. That's what I said. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's, it's, about, it's about motives. God will check your motives. And God is capable of being generous and some. You know... He's not going to give you stuff that is just kind of going to last for five minutes and then break, is he? I mean, he's not like that. He's a good God. And sometimes we forget how generous he is, and we're just trying to just get the minimum out of him. That we, think, we don't want to trouble you too much. Just give me this. Um, no, 
But it's all about our motives. So seriously, it's about your motives. So whatever you're asking God for, um, then it's about motives. I'm going to do one more, and then we'll save the rest of the next time I speak. So, where are we? Don't be... Thank you, I'm just recapping. <laughs> He's taking notes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You can read them afterwards there, don't worry. Don't be shy, be bold. Your prayers are powerful and effective because a righteous, you are a righteous person. God has no favorites. Don't be vague but specific. Ask, don't be jealous and scheme and sulk. Ask with the right motives. So finally, I'll finish off with this one, number seven. Obedience to God is key. John 15, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Matthew 21, 22. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. 1 John 3, verse 22. And we will receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Wow then, everything I ask of God, he's going to give it me. Is that what those scriptures say? No. If you remain in me and I remain in you. In other words, the way that Jesus disciples us, the principles he's faced uh, to govern our lives, the attitude we should have being more like him, if that all is there, then we ask. When we ask, we will be, a co- be asking according to those principles, which is already in line with where God's going. Of course we'll get answers to prayer, and he'll give us those things. It's obedience. If you are a person that takes what God says and God nudges you and, and bless you, you, you did something this week that God told her to help a, a man who just had a, an episode in the high street. God told her to go and stay with him. She called an ambulance. She stayed with him until the ambulance came. She did it. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Right? <laughs> it wasn't an audible voice that, you know, in Wallington High Street. Oi! Saw that man out. They didn't know it. It's just, I just felt I should do it. Great. We need to be a lot more sensitive to the Holy Spirit when he says, just help that person cross the road. Or why don't you speak to that person on the bus that's next to you? Or anything like that. A prompting from the Holy Spirit. The more obedient we are and the more we listen to that, then the more we'll do what God says and we're walking along with him. And, but if you're a person that even like read your Bible or hear on a, ser- on a Sunday a sermon or you just know that you've, God's speaking to you about something. You go, you go to prayer and God says, right, actually, I need you to stop doing that or I need you to start doing that. And you go, uh, nah. And you then now are walking in disobedience. God's word is not remaining in you. You've gone and screwed it up, thrown it away and said, no, thank you very much. That's far too hard, that's far too uncomfortable, that's far too risky, far too close and personal to me. No. Well, then you're not walking in. You're not remaining in. You're not believing in. And therefore, we're not following his commands. So those three scriptures I've just said to you, if you walk in disobedience, that is a hindrance to God answering your prayers. Now, 
Let me just say, it's not a payment by results. I have got to obey God in everything I do for him to take any notice of me when I pray and give me what I pray. That's not what this scripture is saying. God is amazingly gracious. He's amazingly patient. And hands up, how many people have been given stuff by God when they didn't deserve it because they were being stupid and yet he still did it anyway. Look, Take a look round. Take a look. That's how amazing. And the rest of you are obviously fantastically obedient, which is great. You can... Let me know and you can preach. Tell us how to do it all. Or maybe, you know, you didn't ask him at that time. But some, some, most of us have said can have an experience where God has given us stuff that actually we don't deserve, we didn't earn because we're not being obedient. We're being a bit disobedient, but God gives it to us anyway. So I'm not talking, please don't take this away f- from this, that it's payment by results. The more I obey, then the more I'll get. So it's like building up credits with God to get your prayers answered. You know, And the bigger the prayers are, the more credits you've got to build up so it gives you, yes, what you want. It's got nothing to do with that at all. But it's got everything to be walking with God, to taking those nudges, to taking those steps, to be walking according to what you have read, to you know that you're talking to God about. It's got everything to walking in obedience because if you're like that, The things that you are asking him about is already dictated to by the way that you are walking. Do you get that? So you won't be asking God for things that are completely contrary to what he wants for your life because you're walking along with him. You you hear what I'm saying? If you're in disobedience and you walk in a different direction, well, you know, you haven't got much common sense anyway, so why are you, you know... You should be obeying God. And if you ask him for certain things, then if you haven't got the common sense to obey him, how on earth have you got common sense to be asking for the right things when you're talking to him about things? So it's a case of being obedient to God. And remember what I, said, what I read in 1 Peter 1.17. I just read that earlier in one of the other points. Remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites when he judges. Remember that? He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in fear and reverent respect of him because of the high price that God has paid for you. That underlines the fact that God will reward you and judge as to whether you need this or not in accordance to your relationship with him. But it is not and never will be a credit-based thing of obedience. It's just that you're likely to ask for things that, are, that God is more likely to say yes to when we are walking in a close relationship with him. So, you know, it, it was in a relationship. If, if I'm in a relationship with Dave and I want to, to do something, then, then, you know, we kind of know what each other doesn't, doesn't like. So I, you know, I've stopped saying, can we go somewhere really, really hot for, some, for our summer holiday? Because he hates the heat. So I just go with my daughter or my best friend and enjoy the heat that way. But, you know, he doesn't like that sort of thing. So that will be very uncomfortable for him. So, you know, I, I, I know that. So that's okay. I've learned to cope with it and go to, to Norfolk in January and freeze to death. It's fine as long as we're together. And he bought me thermals for Christmas. You know, it's, it's, that's fine. That's fine. 
So I kind of, I don't want to push him into going somewhere extremely hot because he would just spend all, all the time in the hotel room in the air conditioning. I mean, what good is that, you know? So as you are in relationship with someone, some of you women are saying, that's probably a very good idea, just get there. Um, if you're in relationship with someone, you kind of know how they think and they feel and whatever. And I'm just trying to illustrate as a point, when you're walking with God, you will kind of know what things are going to really bless him that are really going to chuff him, are really going to say, yeah, you're going to get alongside of that. Dave mentioned it the other week when there was um, uh, jo uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer, I think, and, and they said, oh, what if we go up and we take this fight to the enemy? What if? Oh, come on, nothing to lose, let's go. And God wasn't going like, you stupid pair, you should have asked me first, or whatever. He's like, that is faith. That is, yeah, I can get it. I can partner with that. Let's bash him up. And he did, and he won. So God responds to kind of those faith things. So as you're in relationship with God and you kind of, you know, kind of want to do this for God or whatever, then by all means talk to him. But he responds to, to stuff out of relationship. Yeah, so obedience is the key. He can trust you with more as you put him first more in your life. So lots of people say, oh, I want loads of money. I just, I, if, you know, if I had a million pounds, everything would be fine. God's not going to give you a million pounds because he doesn't want you to feel fine about having a million pounds. He wants you to feel fine by having a relationship with him and a trust with him. Do you know what? I, as, I, as I finish, I, I know I'm getting old, right? And there is a process that is happening as we're getting older. But, you know, I look at this world, and in my 60 years of life, it has massively changed. And the things I'm hearing about now, about society, I think, oh my word, what next? And Dave and I were talking about this when we were on holiday. And I'm saying, oh my word, what is going to happen in, the f in years to come? And we both said, you know, what we need to teach our church, Horizon Fun staff, you need to teach the kids. There's one thing you need to teach them having a personal relationship with God. Because when those changes in law come that make you think, actually, I, I, I don't think I can go with that. Or things happen to you, you think, actually, that's compromising my life. Why do, what? And then the punishment or the isolation or being victimized for not going with the flow of everyone else comes it's no good you coming to church and saying to the pastor, right, well, what should we do then? Well, well, the church's line is this. That's, okay, it's nice to ask, but actually, your point of reference should be straight away, God. It's, you're my rock, you're my fortress. Do you know what? Even if they take my life, I still win. To have that running through the thread of your life, the foundation of which you stand that is the most important. So the most important thing, which is why Horizon was always founded on from the first place, is our relationship with God is far more important. We're discipled to Christ rather than discipled to church and a load of rules and tradition. 
And we must never lose sight of that because our eternal destiny is in the hands of God. And even though they might kill our bodies and finish our lives earlier, or life might be miserable because we're still following Christ and we refuse to go the way the world goes, we have that eternity with him. We know we are assured forever to be with him. If you can keep your sights on that, you can endure most things. I think of the people in prisons and being tortured at this very moment around the world because of their faith in Christ. The thing that keeps them going. Read Hebrews. That was written to people who were really under, under it. They were under pressure, being fed to lions and all sorts. The only thing that keeps those people going is they are personally related to, in communication, trusting with Jesus. The hope for our, our lives, the church, is that we are communicating with God. We're asking him, what should I do? How should I respond to this? What if this happens to me? You've got to know where you're heading, what you're standing on, and who you're serving. So, 7 out of 12 is not bad, is it? Okay, shall we just pray? God, first of all, we just want to apologise for any kind of ridiculous attitude we've had to prayer. And, uh, and what has robbed us is ridiculous as well. So we're just getting that right, Father, and we're saying, you are the most important person in our lives. We love you dearly, we want to serve you, and we want to learn how to talk to you. We want to learn how to ask, because you delight for us to ask, because you actually want to do loads more stuff in our lives. You're dead keen to do that. So we pray, Father, as we go on this journey of learning how to talk to you, coming to you in confidence and asking, God, that you'd increase our faith, you'd increase our understanding of what we should be asking for, helping you to approach you in a confident way, knowing that there's no favourites, that you are capable, you have the resources to do everything that we're asking of you to do. God, lead us in that direction. Cause us even when we have these prayer cards, God, cause us to start to rise in more faith, to ask more daring things of you, Father. And may God, please, according to your will, grant these things to us, to make us stronger, to make the opportunity for people to know you personally themselves. In Jesus' name, amen.